Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 23rd program on the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them. The 133 talks given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984 were using the translation in certain cases the practice of so-called certificate of divorce. Reminding them of the first chapters of Genesis, Christ answered, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator created them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. So it is that they are no longer two but one single flesh. Therefore what God has joined let man not separate. After this, Addressing their question about the law of Moses, Christ added, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 8. Mark chapter 12, verses 2 through 9. In his answer, Christ appealed twice to the beginning, and thus we too, in the course of our analyses, have attempted to clarify as deeply as possible the meaning of this beginning, which is the first inheritance of every human being in the world, man and woman, the first witness of human identity according to the revealed word, the first source of the certainty of his vocation as a person created in the image of God himself. Christ's answer has a historical meaning, but not only a historical one. Human beings of all times raise the question about the same topic. The same is true about our contemporaries, who in their questions do not, however, appeal to the law of Moses that allowed the certificate of divorce, but to other circumstances and other laws. Their questions are charged with problems unknown to the interlocutors at the time of Christ. We know what sort of questions about marriage and the family were addressed to the last council, to Pope Paul VI, and are continually being formulated in the post-conciliar period, day after day, in the most varied circumstances. They are asked by single persons, by married and engaged couples, by young people, but also by writers, journalists, politicians, economists, demographers, in some by contemporary culture and civilization. I think that among the answers that Christ would give to the people of our times and to their questions, often so impatient, fundamental would still be the one he gave to the Pharisees, in answering these questions, Christ would appeal, first of all, to the beginning. He would perhaps do so all the more decidedly and essentially, inasmuch as man's inner and simultaneously cultural situation seems to move away from that beginning and assume forms and dimensions that diverge from the biblical image of the beginning. 
to points that are evidently ever more distant. At any rate, Christ would not be surprised by any of these situations, and I suppose that he would continue to refer above all to the beginning. This is the reason why Christ's answer called for a particularly deep analysis. In fact, this answer recalled fundamental and elementary truths about the human being as man and woman. Through this answer, we gain insight into the very structure of human identity in the dimensions of the mystery of creation and at the same time in the perspective of the mystery of redemption. Without this answer, one cannot build a theological anthropology and in its context, a theology of the body, from which also the fully Christian vision of marriage and the family originates. Paul VI pointed this out in his encyclical dedicated to the problems of marriage and responsible procreation from the human and Christian point of view when he appealed to the integral vision of man, Paul VI, Humanivite Seven. One can say that in the answer to the Pharisees, Christ laid out before his interlocutors also this integral vision of man, without which no adequate answer can be given to the questions connected with marriage and procreation. Precisely this integral vision of man must be built from the beginning. This point is valid for the contemporary mentality, just as it was, though in a different way, for Christ's interlocutors. We are, in fact, the children of an age in which, due to the development of various disciplines, this integral vision of man can easily be rejected and replaced by many partial conceptions that dwell on one or another aspect of the compositum humanum, but do not reach man's integrum, or leave it outside their field of vision. Various cultural tendencies, then, insert themselves here that are based on these partial truths, and on this basis make their proposals and practical suggestions for human behavior, and even more often about ways of relating to man. Man then becomes more an object of certain technologies than the responsible subject of his own action. It is also the aim of Christ's answer to the Pharisees that man, male and female, be such a subject, that is, a subject who decides his own actions in the light of the integral truth about himself inasmuch as it is the original or fundamental truth of authentically human experiences. This is the truth Christ makes us seek from the beginning. It is in this way that we turn to the first chapters of Genesis. The study of these chapters, perhaps more than of others, makes us conscious of the significance and necessity of the theology of the body. The beginning tells us relatively little about the human body in the naturalistic and contemporary sense of the word. From this point of view, we find ourselves in this study on a wholly pre-scientific level. 
we know almost nothing about the inner structures and regularities that reign in the human organism. Nevertheless, at the same time, perhaps exactly because the text is so ancient, the truth that is important for the integral vision of man reveals itself in a simpler and fuller way. This truth concerns the meaning of the human body in the structure of the personal subject. The reflection about these ancient texts allows us as a next step to extend this meaning to the whole sphere of human intersubjectivity, especially in the perennial relationship between man and woman. In this reflection, we gain a vantage point that we must necessarily place at the basis of the whole contemporary science about human sexuality in the biophysiological sense. This is not to say that we must give up this science or deprive ourselves of its results. On the contrary, if these results are to be useful in teaching us something about the education of man and his masculinity and femininity, and about the sphere of marriage and procreation, we must always arrive through all the single elements of contemporary science at what is fundamental and essentially personal both in every individual, man or woman, and in their reciprocal relations. And it is exactly here that reflection on the ancient text of Genesis proves to be irreplaceable. It constitutes really the beginning of the theology of the body. The fact that theology also includes the body should not astonish or surprise anyone who is conscious of the mystery and reality of the Incarnation. Through the fact that the Word of God became flesh, the body entered theology. That is, the science that has divinity for its object. I would say through the main door. The incarnation and the redemption that flows from it has also become the definitive source of the sacramentality of marriage, which we will deal with more extensively at a suitable time. The questions raised by contemporary man are also those of Christians, of those who prepare for the sacrament of marriage, or of those who already live in marriage, which is the sacrament of the church. These are not only the questions of the sciences, but even more so the questions of human life. So many human beings and so many Christians search in marriage for the fulfillment of their vocation. So many want to find in it the way of salvation and holiness. For them, the answer Christ gave to the Pharisees, who were filled with zeal for the Old Testament, is particularly important. Those who seek the fulfillment of their own human and Christian vocation in marriage are called, first of all, to make of this theology of the body, whose beginning we find in the first chapters of Genesis, the content of their lives and behavior. In fact, on the road of this vocation, how indispensable is a deepened consciousness of the meaning of the body in its masculinity and femininity. How necessary is an accurate consciousness of the spousal meaning of the body, of its generative 
meaning given that all that forms the content of the life of the spouses must always find its full and personal dimension in shared life, in behavior, in feelings, and this all the more against the background of a civilization that remains under the pressure of a materialistic and utilitarian way of thinking and evaluating. Contemporary biophysiology can offer much precise information about human sexuality. Nevertheless, the knowledge of the personal dignity of the human body and of sex must still be drawn from other sources. A particular source is God's own word, which contains the revelation of the body, the revelation that goes back to the beginning. How significant it is that in his answer to all these questions, Christ orders man to return in some way to the threshold of his theological history. He orders him to place himself at the boundary between original innocence, happiness, and the inheritance of the first fall. By doing so, he does not want to say that the way on which he leads man, male and female, in the sacrament of marriage, namely the way of the redemption of the body, must consist in retrieving this dignity in which the true meaning of the human body its meaning as personal and of communion is fulfilled at the same time. For now we conclude the first part of our meditations devoted to this subject, which is so important. To give a more thorough answer to our questions, at times anxious questions about marriage, or still more exactly about the meaning of the body, we cannot dwell only on Christ's answer to the Pharisees in which he appealed to the beginning. See Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 9, Mark chapter 10 verses 2 through 12. We must take into consideration also all his other statements, among which two stand out in a special way as having a particularly rich meaning. The first, from the Sermon on the Mount, on the possibilities of the human heart with respect to the concupiscence of the body, see Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, and the second when Jesus appealed to the future resurrection, see Matthew chapter 22 verses 24 through 30, Mark chapter 12 verses 18 through 27, Luke chapter 20 verses 27 through 36. We intend to make these two statements the object of our following reflections. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 23rd catechesis on man and woman. He created them a theology of the body. This 23rd catechesis on the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them of Pope John Paul II, invokes the law of Moses three times. The law of Moses is, of course, a very rich phrase. It can mean the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. It can mean the Torah, the first five books of sacred scripture of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Either way, it's all inspired by God and only able to be kept by the grace of God given to us through Christ Jesus, through his victorious death and resurrection. The book of Genesis, where Pope John Paul II gets these 
words about the beginning is part of the law of Moses in the greater sense. Pope John Paul II identifies in this 23rd Catechesis, man and woman, he created them with theology of the body, seven different instances regarding meaning. What's it mean? Meaning is so important. He asks or speaks, he addresses the meaning of the beginning, the beginning when God made the heavens and the earth, all that is seen and unseen. This is the conclusion of the beginning of his magnum opus, Theology of the Body. He asks, what is the historical meaning? Jesus was answering a question put to him in history, and he answered it in history, and it was recorded in the Gospels, which give us so much of sacred history. And he went back to the beginning. John Paul asks or addresses about the meaning of the body. When you see someone whose leg has been severed by a bomb, a landmine, or their face has been scarred by an attack, so what is the meaning of this? What has happened to you? And they can tell you their tale of woe. Like St. Ignatius of Loyola, he walked with a limp because a cannonball had wounded him. He could tell you the meaning of war from his own grisly experiences. The meaning of the body. We know how wonderful it is to feel well, to have good health. And we also know what it feels like to be sick, to be under the weather. Those different experiences have different meanings. Pope John Paul II here addresses the spousal meaning of the body. How the husband is made for his wife and the wife for her husband. The man for the woman, the woman for the man. This is part of the spousal meaning of the body. As well as the generative meaning of the body. Part of the reality of the human being is the ability to procreate. The God-given ability to generate another self. Distinct from the father and the mother. And this is done through means of the nuptial embrace, through marital union. Pope John Paul addresses in this 23rd Catechesis on the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them, the meaning of the human body in the structure of the personal subject. What does it mean to be a person? I am a human being. I am not just my soul. I'm not just my body. I'm a body-soul composite. And not only that, I'm made in the image of God, and I'm made for communion. This is part of the meaning of the human body in the structure of me, myself, as a personal subject, you, yourself, as a personal subject, made in the image of the tri-personal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Pope John Paul II also reminds us in this 23rd Catechesis how the Lord Jesus Christ himself appealed to the beginning twice. And the Holy Father himself has appealed to the beginning more than twice in this first chapter of the first part of man and woman. He created them in theology of the body because he was analyzing what does it mean, the beginning, and all that that entails, the creation, even the fall. Pope John Paul II points out for us that our inner situation and our cultural situation have been moving away from the beginning not only temporally, how many years, how many days, how many centuries, millennia, away from the beginning, but even from the original plan, from the idea of God, what does God want us to do with ourselves? How is it that we were made? Interiorly, we are moving away, 
and as a culture, as a society, moving away. Not only moving away, but also assuming forms and dimensions which diverge from the original plan, the original intention of God. These are consequences of the fall. And what the Holy Father is trying to do in his presentations is bring us back like a good shepherd because he knows he will have to render an account and he wants to hear those beautiful words spoken by the Lord good and faithful servant come share your master's joy the Holy Father assures us that Christ himself would not be surprised by the situation of thy these divergencies of this moving away but that he would still continue to refer back in answer to the question to the beginning Pope John Paul Paul II, in this 23rd installment of his catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, reminds us that he is presenting an integral vision of man, of the human person. He says it three or four times, and Professor Waldstein even offers that as a chapter or title heading for this catechesis. The integral vision of man. So vision of man, we got somebody in our sights. We can see there's this fellow there. But an integral vision is not only to see the form, the shape, the outline, but to see the whole person, to see the whole man, to know that that person, that man is made in the image and likeness of God, redeemed by the saving death and resurrection of Jesus, made for heaven with powers and abilities, not just the physiological reality, bodily integrity, but also the spiritual realm, the spiritual aspect. If we focus on the one and disregard the other, it's not a whole vision of the person, of the man. It's not an integral vision. God is in the mix. God has made us male and female. He's made us for personal communion, interpersonal communion, not only one with another, but even with himself. The Holy Father points out to us that Christ makes us seek the truth from the beginning, from the first chapters of Genesis. And here, although the Holy Father doesn't state it, he's well aware, who has self-identified with the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And in the first chapters of Genesis, we receive the truth about God and the truth about man. We see the beginnings of life on earth, not just the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beast of the field, but humanity, the human being, male and female, made to the image of God. Christ sends us back to the beginning, because if we don't know where we've started from, it's hard to know where we're going. And he just wants us to return to himself, to his sacred heart pierced for love of us and for love of the Father. The beginning tells us little about the body in the naturalistic or contemporary sense of the word. Pope John Paul II reminds us, and it's true, you look in sacred scripture, it doesn't tell you what is the healthy temperature of a human being. What is a healthy pulse, heart rate of a human being? How many breaths should one take in a moment? This physiological sort of stuff is not treated in the sacred scriptures because the scriptures are here not to tell us how the heavens go, but how to go to heaven. And so the Holy Father reminds us of his great respect for all the branches of learning. Physiology would come to mind here, but all the sciences. But he reminds them that they don't have the whole story. Even like theology doesn't have the whole story because a theologian has to go to a physician. What should my temperature be? What should my pulse rate be? The complementarity of the sciences. 
truth is one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All truth comes from God and leads to God, who can neither deceive nor be deceived, who calls us to know the truth which will set us free. These are the things, I believe, which the Holy Father had in mind as he spoke these words, as he wrote these words that we might grow in wisdom and grace and knowledge before God and man. Pope John Paul II, in this 23rd Catechesis on Man and Woman, He Created Them, Theology of the Body, reminds us that reflection on Genesis constitutes the beginning of the theology of the body. And this is true in many ways, because why not start at the beginning? The beginning of sacred scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you cannot focus on the body or the theology of the body without the beginning. The Holy Father reminds us that the incarnation, that God became man, that he took flesh, which he received from the Blessed Mother, Virgin Mary, this is where the body enters theology. But you know, if God made man, male and female, even before the incarnation, there was theology about the body. It only reaches its apex in the incarnation, and perhaps the good God created man in his image, male and female, he created them in view of the future incarnation. And in the history of theology, the Dominicans and the Franciscans have a, a great debate over God's becoming man in Christ. Was it necessary? Was it fitting? Well, it happened. When we get to heaven in God's mercy, it'll give us something to talk about for all eternity. Unless, of course, the Lord infuses the answer immediately. The Holy Father also addresses in this 23rd Catechesis on the Theology of the Body, how it is a part of a theological anthropology, a science of man, the science of man, anthropology, anthropos means man, and theological anthropology means that we're looking at man in light of God. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. So the theological anthropology is the basis of the theology of the body, and it also informs, I think there's a mutuality there. The theology of the body, according to the Holy Father, both is significant and necessary in the light of Genesis. So having studied these opening chapters of Genesis, the Pope says this is necessary. We have to have done this. And we need to consider it. God went to the trouble to reveal it. God went to the trouble to fulfill it. God reminds us to return to the beginning. That's how Jesus answered the Pharisees when they asked him questions. Not only is it necessary, but it's significant. It has meaning. It's important. So we shouldn't just toss it to the side. The theology of the body provides a fully Christian vision of marriage and the family. And it's important to remember that these reflections of the Holy Father have even spawned their own secondary literature, this program among them, but so many great books and great studies have occurred. And there are so many great centers of study for the theology of the body. The John Paul II Institute for Marriage and the Family headquartered at the Lateran University, the Ground Zero, and the branches all throughout the world. Theology of the Body provides the fully Christian vision of marriage and the family, and it's important to remember that marriage is a part of the theology of the body. And so the Holy Father in this 23rd Catechesis reminds us of the indissolubility of marriage, how marriage is for life, till death do us part, no divorce, no free union, <clears throat> all sorts of things like that. He also 
addresses the fact that there are questions, people ask questions about marriage, about the family. And so he attempts to answer them in these 133 talks. And finally, he addresses the incarnation and the redemption as being the source, the definitive source of the sacramentality of marriage. Because we're reminded that the love between husband and wife is to mirror that love between Christ and his bride, the church. A life-giving love, a love to the end, a sacrificial love. The incarnation and the redemption which flows from it has become the definitive source of the sacramentality of marriage and the grace given in the sacrament whereby which the husband and wife can love each other with divine love. In our next program, we'll begin chapter 2 of part 1 of the Theology of the Body, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do that, it would be good for us just to review a little bit where we've been in chapter 1. Christ, our Lord, has appealed to the beginning. The Holy Father reminded us what it means about the beginning. The two creation stories in Genesis. The meaning of original solitude. How Adam and Eve were unlike any other creature on the earth. The meaning of original unity. How the two became one flesh and were meant for each other. Flesh from my flesh. The meaning of original nakedness. How they were naked without shame. Shame enters the world through sin. Man in the dimension of the gift, having received the gift of life, the gift of being, and then the reciprocal gift between husband and wife. Spousal meaning of the body, the original innocence, which is distinct from original sin, and then knowledge and procreation. Such a rich word, knowledge. Not just the ability to do our arithmetic or to know our geography, but knowledge, yada, Adam knew his wife, and she can see. We have come to the end of this program. Until next time, God bless.